Hey, Dimitri, thank you for coming in today. You know, you have such a remarkable background. You're definitely in terms of impact, uh, making vibrations around the world or having impact around the world. It's being felt everywhere and definitely committing so much time and energy and talent to making the world a better place. So thank you for coming in. And, and uh, it's going to be really interesting when you share your insights with our audience. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here and I echo all the sentiments right back to you. So happy to be here with you. Thank you. So Dimitri, you know, what, what were some of the inflection points that made this wonderful person that you are today? And, and it could have been something that happened when you were three or five, or it could have been a mentor or when you were in school uh, at different times in your career. It could be within the YPO community, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Stephen, I would actually say it's was a privilege of where I was born. And that comes from a beautiful place called South Africa, and particularly KwaZulu-Natal. And having the honor of growing up with some of our beautiful, natural, wild ecosystems and having a pair of binoculars strapped to my neck from the age of three, um, very curiously looking at all the birds and the bees and also some of the lions and the elephants and the big game and just finding a, a deep respect for our natural systems and I guess with my career and over time, you know, it's come to a point as of four years ago to pivot my life away from the corporate world and start this yeah, journey into the world of doing good. And how do we restore dignity back to elephants as a key animal for me, but also the people who have to coexist in some of these challenging ecosystems that are just sadly a little bit underserved. And that's very close to my heart, particularly coming from the African continent. You know, it's interesting. Africa is really the the big um, untapped resource in many respects from a talent standpoint, from an economic standpoint and economic growth. And at least in the different communities I sit in, we see this as the future of the planet is really is out of Africa now. You know, what are you, what are your views on that, on, on Africa? And sometimes people think of Africa as a country. You know, it's many, many countries, it's very complex. And it's a continent. So what are reviews on Africa as a continent and and the makeup of the different countries and where you see this going on uh, the next five to 10 years? And do you see this as a, a big economic engine for the world, a big talent en engine for a world, a uh, tremendous amount of assets as well uh, within the continent, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, thank you, Stephen. So I think you started where I was going to start by saying, number one, you know, Africa is 54 individual nations and you take a country like Kenya with up to 47 different unique tribes with their own unique languages and traditions and cultures. So take that in times of about 54, there's a huge diversity and there's been a big scariness to Africa because Africa's got a lot of history that has unfortunately, you know, been tarnished and exploited over the times and years in our history. But let's definitely, you know, use that as a reflection point. But importantly, today, the opportunities are endless if and how, you know, local entities or parties or individuals that understand the landscape really well in order to really, um, I guess, get the most out of it economically, socially and talent wise, because there's a huge untapped resource. And that's just come, you know, just as an example, Fred Swanaker and what he's done with African Leadership University and how their students are studying missions, not majors. And that's only come up because of the problems that we face on this continent, which are, you know, bearing the brunt that several of the fastest warming countries are on this continent, as well as 
in the last 50 years have lost 69% of all of our wildlife, there's a huge, um, I guess, crisis around what are we actually valuing on the continent and how is that being distributed? And right now, as you said, you know, with natural resources being in their plenty and also having a very strong underwater table line under the continent as a fresh water source, there are incredible resources, but I guess the break sometimes happens in leadership and sometimes in how governance is just monitoring and ensuring that this is well managed and therefore well assigned to the correct financial and I guess people parties that can be utilizing these systems. So, you know, going into the future, I really believe that what's encouraging based on, you know, I've been privileged to go around up to 18 different countries on the continent and just see that there's real, real problems, but there's people that live these problems and developing solutions for them. So there's a lot of hope that is still strong on this continent. And what that means going five, 10 years into the future, well, with technology and its exponential scale and smartphone adoption rates going through the roof on this continent, being thanks to the affordable uh, mobile devices that people can now access and the mobile money systems, there really is a lot, a lot going for it. And how that gets utilized and how we create a new value system that puts people and nature first at the same time. There's really some cool innovations coming out of this continent that, you know, we just need to be mindful that we don't need to save Africa because that's what the aid ecosystem has always portrayed. It's throw money at the problem. Um, and that's unfortunately created some of the challenges that we see from the likes of, you know, not the nicest word, but, you know, corruption and manipulation of information and how people are actually doing business. Um, because of just chasing the ego, the power. And so there just needs to, I guess, be some restructuring. And that only comes through the support, you know, of collaborating with the likes of you and other inspiring individuals and entities to just help and assist Africa, but not necessarily put the hand out and just throw money at the problem, thinking that's an answer because you know, it hasn't really worked in our history thus far. So I think it's going to be a big change as we go forward and just how better authentic business doesn't. I guess this idea of Africa for Africans, right? And and making sure it's it's purposeful led within Africa and by people like yourself and your colleagues and cohort and so on to uh, to drive change and positive change and and to tap in all of the uh, capabilities that are within the continent and and also mine all of the diversity, which is a strength as well, right? Uh, you get more innovation out of diversity than if you have lack of diversity so all of these are opportunities now in your in your uh, lifetime and and being south african um how we how have you been able to avail yourself of the opportunities but what is your uh, story arc in terms of what you studied in school to where you uh, where you are now you mentioned you had this sort of past life in the corporate world but you're also have a have a company you know, what is that narrative uh, of your development uh, within South Africa? Yeah, so look, I mean, at the age of five, 1994, that's when apartheid uh, was freed from our country. And, you know, that really opened up an incredible culture come together moment. And we were known as the Rainbow Nation and still are. And so having that growth of diversity from a schooling as well as then university and studying international marketing management um, that led you know a lot of inspiration to then 
I guess part of my my being is Greek. I'm 100% Greek by blood, but culturally very South African. And you know, after university, I had no clue what I wanted to do. So I thought, hey, let me join the military or the army in Greece to do my prescription service and learn a language that I didn't quite know. It literally was all Greek to me. <laughs> and then from there, it moved over to London. And I mean, I was in London for eight years, which is a beautiful hub of the world and particularly in the marketing space. You know, I was working with a couple of companies that are on the cutting edge of this world of programmatic, real-time bidding. And that was really an understanding and living my roaring 20s up until the age of 29 in the UK of learning, you know, how systems drive efficiencies to deliver value to brands or clients or customers. And so from a systems level, my corporate career was with a company called Conversant. Now there's two and a half thousand employees in the States and 150 in the UK. So it was a bit of a startup mentality. And I particularly fell into the world of sales operations because salespeople were going and selling the dream. And that would come into the engineering and creative departments. And it would be in shambles because the dream wasn't in fact what was able to be delivered on. And so there was a big piece missing there. And so all that meant in my personal development and narrative was that I became a conduit to pull the different relevant parties together when and as needed in order to meet the particular objective of what it was we were doing from a client integration and digital marketing and personalization side of things. But I must say, I loved and I thrived in that ecosystem, but it came to a point where my heart was pulling me back to this continent because I am addicted to it in all of its wonderful and curious ways. And I only say that because I pivoted my life from the corporate world and then in 2019 uh, spent nine months traveling through the continent, through Tanzania, Kenya, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Mozambique. And the intention was to really understand what's happening at the interface or the interconnection point between people and nature in some of our most underserved communities and ecosystems. And so it was along that journey where I was teaching at schools, working with nonprofits, um, and collaborating with some of the private sector parties, supporting some of these initiatives at the ground. And I saw a system which deeply, deeply saddened me. And it's all these organizations that receive external funding that then have money coming in, but there's no incentive for them to collaborate, to share their solutions, their ideas, their data where needed to understand, you know, what's happening transboundary borders between um, elephants and communities and how our landscapes being managed holistically from a sustainable livelihood framework perspective. And importantly, a lot of the funding that would come into the world of doing good environmentally and socially, only nine, no, five to 8% would actually reach the end community goal, which is what that initial budget was meant for. And that's just due to the high administrative costs. So a big question mark came to me and said, well, why aren't we including the participation of these humans who the development is made for? And why can't they be part of the system? Because at the end of the day, it's their home, it's their land, it's their culture. And so how are we you know, steering human behavior, not through marketing and manipulation, but rather through data and inspiration? And so that unlocked this idea. And I don't know if I should continue into what and how the Baytree ecosystem formed, but yeah, I mean, that's how, I guess, up until the journey of Baytree starting four years ago, I guess my, my, my journey has brought me to the space of just falling in love with systems and seeing the macro perspective, but ensuring that we actually start building from the bottom up because the top down has put its limitations 
and restrictions into the ecosystem of how we actually execute at, in a more real-time way and a more inclusive, diverse way. You you have this background in, in international marketing and you came from the corporate world. You, you get drawn back to Africa and, and because of the just the wonderful ecosystem and, and the diversity has um, many opportunities and, and ways of creating excitement and passion in terms of your life. And so, and yet you see systemic uh, areas where you can do improvements and, mm -hmm. and, and taking your, your background and, but you, you got into data. So how did that data part come in? In, in sort of this uh, machine learning or, or AI, I guess, uh, sort of this data on demand model. How did you get introduced to that aspect? Because your background isn't in that area, right? So, so yeah, Stephen, I mean, interestingly, the system that we've built today in this data on demand and enabling just better visibility and authenticity and the collection of information on the ground isn't a reinvention. It's actually just taking an idea from the advertising world, which was this notion of real-time bidding and programmatic media buying of where, you know, you have a data management platform. This is what Conversant did. You had a client, let's just say a retailer, large global retailer, and then they had their customers who were browsing websites, the internet, and within the website and mobile applications, there were gaps. And these were filled with advertisements. So the whole notion of you know there being a buyer that wants to attract a consumer through data and deep understanding of who their clients are or customers are, our system would automate all of that in milliseconds to provide the correct creative as well as the correct messaging and time of day and website content that would inform the incremental return on that potential advertising spend. So it was an interesting model that was very much data-based because we'd utilize offline, online, all GDPR-compliant data. And that's where almost my consulting career was focused on that sales operation. So it was very data-heavy. And to be honest, when I started this journey of, of Beatry, it wasn't necessarily the data that we really knew was the complete unlocking key. It was really initially founded on how do we rather include people in this world of development that we could exchange development for data. And ever since then, it's been a journey of, I guess, exponential curiosity and growth into finding ourselves into being this real data integ integrity system to now transform that. And it also comes down to the team. And I've got a wonderful team that are also have a background in data and by no means am I alone in this journey, nor could I ever do it alone. And so through mentorship within YPO, Knowledge Impact Network, and a few other parties, as well as my team, you know, we really were able to lean into this data as a point of truth. And how do we find out the single source of truth where there's no editable or corruptible or manipulative information that can be, let's say, yeah, changed within our system. So it was really trying to unlock from the grassroots, how do we just have a a single source of truth in that data value chain. And that is then community driven, but then also how do we commoditize that so that the value can go back to that individual working on the ground in that, let's say, underserved ecosystem. Does that make sense, Stephen? Sort of. So, so I'm gonna ask you more questions. And that is, yeah. 
let's say I'm a person in in South Africa and mm -hmm. I work in in some area and I want to use your service. Why would I want to use your service? How do I get onboarded onto your service? And then how does it drive value to me? And and, and who who would I be if I wanted to use BioTree? Cool. So let's say you are a large-scale logistics company operating in South Africa and you have a portfolio of 10 to 15 uh, corporate social responsible initiatives and you're supporting these implementing parties that are doing the work on the ground, which could be on the topics of environmental education. It could be on biodiversity restoration, rewilding, carbon-based projects. The piece that's been missing is this element of ground truthing. And right now, there's a big challenge of greenwashing, and we are there to help mitigate. And so the journey to onboarding this logistics company is phase one, is there's a disorientation to these entities around the world, these corporates around the world, that don't know what to do with these new mandatory climate laws and requirements that are coming out in the world of UN SDGs or ESG metrics. And so we provide the, a consultative handholding journey service so that these corporates can understand the value of what this data can do and almost like a data readiness package so that we help and guide them. And then the next phase is the implementation, which is the utilization of our technology, which is a blend of almost project management, but where you can recruit external parties and register them through their mobile phones to report in a standardized way what's happening with regards to those CSR or corporate social responsibility initiatives. And that's where the data collected comes through to the dashboard. It's got a layer of verification. It's GPS tagged. There's a lot of metadata behind the scenes. And what that does is it creates an authentic voice because you can now, the last piece of that journey is, well, how do we communicate what the work we've done? And so that's the last piece of handholding that we do, whether that's reporting to investors and shareholders or community and employees or to customers and external uh, just general marketing. So there's almost a problem journey that corporates are suddenly needing to get to grips with because it's not just business as usual, given our climate and planetary societal crises that we're facing. And so Beatrice is really just a helping hand to go on that journey, but we don't need to go from zero to 100. It's really starting with the first 10%, and then we showcase how the system actually helps them you know, prove the work that they're doing in the fields with the people on the ground and also with their employees participating in greening their business or just having a way to measure the environmental water waste energy consumption patterns. So uh, you're matchmaking between corporate uh, reporting requirements and they're looking for a safe ways of engaging in a sustainable way you've got these sustainable projects uh, where you're collecting data and, and and you're ensuring that it's verified and it's trustworthy so that a company can uh, address their CSR requirements. And, and these are now being legislated as well. And, and, yeah. uh, and so um, the, the parties that you're serving on both ends benefit, right? From the corporate side and then also from the, the different groups that uh, where you're doing uh, the underserved ecosystems, the different parties in the underserved ecosystems, where they can supply some of the sort of the results of, of what's happening in a meaningful way. Is that that's what's happening in this uh, platform? 
Exactly. We're pretty much just adding a layer of compliance and a way to audit the impact that's being made. So, you know, you came from an impact summit and I can go public on this because Simon posted, Simon McCulley of, of uh, CO2 and he posted publicly about what they're doing. In fact, I interviewed him uh, not that long ago. Are you are you working with him as well? Because I can see what you're doing fitting so well with what uh, Simon is doing and Simon being the president at the time of uh, sustainability, but he's also the CEO of the CO2 uh, program. Are you working with him at all or, or have you had a conversation with him? So, I mean, we did connect at the Global Impact Summit, um, but at the end of the day, capacity and time is a big thing. But I mean, if you think there's uh, interesting fruit to be bared there, then I mean, I would definitely dive into that. But there are other entities that we are working with in a similar vein to what Simon is doing, like large-scale decarbonization platform. There's another YPO, Ananta Burma, based out of London, and Fleur from Proof of Impact. I mean, they're all data aggregators. And what Beatrice is doing is revolutionizing the truthful data collection to almost act as a feeder to these systems and engines. And so we you know, have a full API suite up and running and almost plug and play to just provide the, the auditableness to what these, let's say, systems like Simon's are then aggregating to quantify what the output is for carbon claims or whatever it might be. So thank you, I guess, for reminding me about Simon and to tap in, to reach out to him. Yeah, I, I think it's such a perfect marriage <laughs> what you're doing, what he's doing. <laughs> Um, yeah. So these interviews are uh, not scripted. So I have to kind of brainstorming with you in, in real time. Have you connected with Michael Meehan at all? Michael Meehan? Yeah. No, but I saw he just became a board member of Ken. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Now I saw that post. I haven't looked into him or his profile, to be honest. Yeah, I've interviewed him and and I'm, I do connections periodically because I see where there's a fit. So Michael, um, I guess until recently, was the past chair of the UK uh, Financial Sustainability Group. I think representing mm -hmm. about uh, 15 trillion in US dollars, assets under management. Mm -hmm. But I think his pain point with the community sees part of is connecting with things that are trustworthy. So... You have the finance side looking to put money into things and for all of the reasons that you mentioned, right? But they're finding yeah. that greenwashing is a real problem. And where do you find things that are trustworthy that, that they can that they can finance or and so on, right? So um, because you're part of Kin, the Knowledge Impact Network, uh, I recommend you have a meeting with them anyways and explore uh, you know, what you have with what his communities are looking for. And I think there's a good match there. And I could do an introduction if, if you haven't talked to him more, but you can use the Kin Knowledge Impact Network platform to just reach out, right? So, and you can mention, yeah. I talk to you as well. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. I'll definitely reach out to him. Times. Just making a note of that. There's another community called Leaders on Purpose. And, um, what they're doing is they're working with multinationals and mm -hmm. multinationals are really doing what you're doing, 
Um, but they're looking at ways that they can deploy resources into areas that are trustworthy and so on as well. And they got a pretty big Africa program. Um, okay. For example, working with Equity Bank, and I, I believe Equity has something like $6 billion that they're looking to deploy in some meaningful way uh, in terms of financing things that are, again, trustworthy. So ha have you talked to the CEO of Equity or some of those other groups? No, not too much on the Kenya side for reasons maybe I'll just keep off the record. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's there's definitely like this leaders on purpose. I've come across them, but again, haven't deeply connected with them. And so that's another interesting one because, you know, Stephen, I mean, just that one word you used, trustworthy, I think that's such a big piece of all that we as humans need to lean into more and understand what that actually means because the the trusted component is something that's often not really checked until it's too late. But that's just, again, a lack of education and awareness as to what are we checking with regards to the trust? You know, right now, I spend a billion dollars through my foundation to support social development on the continent, but I don't have my own foundation. This is an example. But I kind of just feel good, and I tick that notion of, cool I've invested in these cool programs and I get a metric of saying I've helped 50,000 women go through um, smallholder um, farmer training but what does it actually mean like it's not actionable data or insight and there's no trust necessarily behind that because when you ask someone in that entity they just say no we follow best practices and these are some of the large corporates I've spoken to in South Africa I won't go into the names but they just say no, 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 we're following best practices on a global standard. I'm like, okay, well, so what does that mean? What's What standards or practices are these? And that's part of the challenge, right? There is no globally recognized beyond the UN SDGs and IRIS and a couple, but that are adopted more on the SME level rather than the global conglomerates and enterprises. So there's a disconnect. And I guess the SMEs are much larger when you group them than all of the larger entities that exist in terms of their social economic behavior and outcomes yeah i definitely would be um i think worth your time to um reach out to the leaders on purpose community i think there's again a lot of synergy between what they're doing and what you're doing as well yeah and, thank you Steve. Um, so you know this uh, bail tree so where are you in terms of the development of this company uh, i i mean uh, on this sort of maturity level of, of the company that you have yeah, so we are, look, four capital raises in. Our goal is to break even by December 2023. I have no problem with sharing what that means. We have a £30,000 cash burn, um, and that's remained consistent and, if not less, in our current life cycle as a business. Um, March was us hitting 1,000 MRR. July, the goal is 8,000 MRR. December is 30,000 MRR, and that means break even. And then from there, we'll then go for the larger raise to, you know, once we've proven the model and the product market fit and really have the team to execute, then we go big or go home. And it's time to go big because home is all we have. <laughs> so this this must be quite consuming for you in terms of time, right? Uh, this company and... Uh... 
what's your what's your reaction then to you know you see all of this news right now on chat gpt and gpt4 has been released now i guess about two weeks ago now yeah and i can see this helping um what you're doing or do you see it doesn't connect with the kind of platform you created it 100 will help and i guess the reasons why i say that is Look, there's three layers to doing good. There's the actual impact at planet Earth, ground level one. Level two is how do we have a decision or recommendation engine that can actually say to level three, here's all the money and the finance and the value that gets distributed. But that important middle layer is the data and the data requires a story and a narrative and chat GBT and other AI technologies would be able to distribute where the money is needed and in return for the money the data that has a value to the buyer whether that's carbon biodiversity credits social credits education credits to create this new value system humans don't have the capacity and so the likes of chat the likes of you know thankfully we're not in the business of content creation and all of that's so that we suddenly old school media and we're going to get swept under the rug thanks to these types of new technologies but it's rather you know, emerging technologies are exciting because they are another system. And how do we use that system to plug it into a system of doing good in a way that can amplify, I guess, the meaning for both parties, both the, the value creators and the value generators, um, or let's say receivers, um, to actually have something meaningful. And so there's a lot of AI, be it visual recognition, word recognition, and how that actually helps to make decisions faster than, than we can as people. So are, are your uh, team looking at trying to do some integration into your platform at all right now or, or not? So July, August is when we've got that in the roadmap. Right now, we just need to focus on our current um, objectives and I guess product developments to have the full suite completed. And then once we've done that, and we also you know bring on, as you said, this is a full-time daily, daily grind, and I'm damn excited by it but we're still just a team of five. And so that means a lean operation. We have to be really smart with the decisions we make in order to um, just progress the business with our current clients and ensure they're the happy ones because they're the ones paying us. And then from there, we will get to the point of having some freedom to start you know, the real R&D side of our business. But right now it's really securing the traction, the growth targets, making sure our shareholders you know, are happy and can then when we come to the point of the ask, hey, we've got all these cool technologies we want to integrate with. We need some specialists. We need to hire those specialists. Then that's when that will really become a, a, a yeah, tangible reality. Yeah, sounds interesting. There's there's a company called DID, which has a, an API, and it, it, it would fit what you're doing. So they've got all the tools. They've already built them. And it's just a matter of your a software engineer is just making calls to the API, right? The application program interface. So uh, I'm just thinking that'll save you a lot of time. And they've created all the tools to do the connectivity on the creation okay. of that, you know, the chat GPT kind of tech or or the GPT-4 um, um, technology and so on. Uh, and of course there's Microsoft and all of the tools within Azure as well. So um, I'm just thinking ways to save you time. <laughs> No, thank you. Time and money is a good saver. <laughs>
Okay, so let's let's talk about YPO. Now, the, you know, many of the audience, and I find this, a lot of people don't know what YPO is. So tell me your YPO journey. What is YPO? <laughs> and what is your YPO yeah. journey? Yeah, so look, my, my father is the member. He was in the business of shipping, and he joined in 1994. I'm what's called YNG Gold. Because of my age of 33 and being a youth member of this community, um, I've been in this network for 26 years. But what it has meant to me personally has meant deeper bonds with my family through the experiences that YPO hosts at a global level, having the opportunity to travel to Antarctica, to India, to experiences in Chile and North America, um, all local YPO chapters. And a chapter is purely just a Let's call it a group of people in a particular city that are deemed a chapter for YPO. And all of them have children. And so that's us, YNGers. And my journey, you know, was in a forum. And forum is really a safe, confidential space to have full vulnerability, zero judgment in a place to share and some of our deeper things that we can't share with family, friends, or colleagues. And so it's a very tight-knit group. By no means is it a cult. So many of my friends have thought that in the past. You go into the strange forum on a Thursday night. What is that about? And so, yeah, I mean, I had my first forum in Durban. I went out in South Africa. Then I moved to London, had another forum there, joined the, the executive committee for London and got, you know, some wonderful traction and a very cool hub of YNGs coming from, you know, their respective countries around the world. And so it's really broadened a perspective for me, this wonderful community. And I didn't know this existed but it was an interesting serendipity of the universe that when I decided to, to do my life pivot in 2019 and fall into this world of impact and doing good, um, that I reached out to a gentleman by the name of Florian. And Florian was like, hey, Dimitri, please speak to Randall Zindler. And I spoke to Randall and him and Florian were and Mansour Hamayun were the founders of the Planet Action Network, which is one of the four impact networks within YPO. And I joined as the second YNGer to ever join a YPO executive um, community, sorry, executive committee. And that was a real honor to participate and kind of bend the bridge of what it means where YNG can integrate with YPO. Because, of course, I mean, I respect the network more than any other in the world, just because what it's provided for my family in terms of support and structure and safety and all these wonderful things. And so... Joining the Planet Action Network was transformational because through that, you know, I found incredible individuals to seek mentorship, seek guidance, seek advice as I was starting. You know, being a first-time founder and CEO, I had no idea what that means beyond just an interesting label that seems a bit old school. Um, but the real principle there was, you know, to connect with these humans doing incredible things and leaning on, you know, their lessons learned and their experiences and then falling deeper into the world of impact. And through that, you know, then founded YNG Kenya in terms of the executive committee and also started the YNG Africa executive committee to start removing some boundaries and borders to YNGers and share that there's so much more to YNG than just going for a drinks party or to have a fun time on a retreat and do some cool activities. It's There's a lot more transformational change that we can do as the next gen to tap into this network and share our experiences and vice versa, because it's very much a multi-generational exchange of growth because the world is transforming so quickly. And 
yeah, I guess my my next intention with this community is forming YNG Gold as a bridge to you know YNGs that have had a leadership position that respect and understand and have been in a forum for more than 10 years from a value perspective and create this new transitionary period as YNGs in the leadership positions are the lowest hanging fruits to join the YPO community instead of you know joining other cool networks that do exist but you know the size and the scope and the scale and the meaning behind YPO really does have the ability to make a real difference and so yeah i mean that's really been the ypo ypo journey for me so far and i hope to become a member next year that's one of my goals i've set myself 15 years ago <laughs> so uh, just for the audience i'll give a little bit more context and you can correct me if i'm wrong so uh, ypo is the young president's organization founded in 1950 and really it's a community where uh, ceos are alone and they get to sort of commune and educate each other uh, by sharing, and it was an empowerment by by this sharing this uh, this community. Currently, there's uh, over thirty three thousand around the world, and over four hundred fifty chapters across about one hundred forty five countries. They do close to nine trillion or ten trillion in annual revenue, uh, employing about twenty two million, and and. Mm -hmm. Uh, YNGers are about 22,000. I, I believe it's going to about 25,000. So that's the YPO next generation. And as you mentioned, that's the community of the children and so on of, of the YPO uh, members. Um, usually there's an intake, I think a limit to about 45, but now you can stay on within the YPO organization itself, but you have to meet certain minimum requirements in terms of revenue and staffing and so on. And then uh, when you get post 50, you can join something called YPO Gold or you become YPO Gold, which is, uh, so you stay in the organization where it used to be, you used to go into a separate organization. So I would say it's probably the, the largest private community of uh, notable leaders and CEOs around the world. And definitely uh, very intimate in terms of the interaction that occurs within the community. So did I miss anything there? Or I'm just trying to sort of put it into a capsule of who YPO is. Yeah. I mean, mine was a bit more ethereal. Yours is pragmatic and all the stats and facts are spot on. I mean, and with that 10 trillion, it does become, if it were a country, the third largest GDP country in the world. And so with that, yeah, I guess, yeah, I'm going to pause there. Otherwise, I'm going to go off into a rabbit hole. <laughs> and and uh yeah, your goal is to become a ypo member soon so i think that's a, a, a notable sort of goal and vision for you and you indicated your family comes from shipping which now makes sense in a way because of greek right your greek um uh, background so <laughs> i'm just sort of in real time making some connections here um where where the people fit <laughs> And then, of course, you have the South yeah. American heritage. And and uh, you mentioned earlier about the Global Impact Summit. So can you talk a little bit about the Global Impact Summit and um, what were some of the takeaways? And, and I should mention to the audience, these are private summits. So, that you, you know, there, there are things that you can't talk about, but maybe there's some things you can because some of them posted on LinkedIn, right? So, and then what yeah. do you hope will continue out of this Global Impact Summit? 
So, Stephen, the intention behind the Global Impact Summit was to lean into all those wonderful stats and facts that you shared about the community of what YPO stands for and see how we can mobilize the individuals who are already, let's say, in the world of doing good, in the world of impact, sustainability, um, and really bringing them together to have that member-to-member -member connection, but also to bridge the gap because this is the first global event where YNGs, the next gen, were included to participate with 100% of the programming, which was a real big milestone. And I had the honor of representing YNGN developing this event over the past 12 months leading up to the event. And so to have that boundary crossed has transformed how YPOs also see YNGs. And that was my personal objective, uh, being the representative to showcase that, you know, we're not youngsters seeking what are we going to do next in our career but we actually innovators entrepreneurs and individuals who are hungry to learn and also connect to drive the ideas and the changes that we have and so a large part of i guess the, the global impact summit which we hosted in costa rica was that you know we wanted zero waste zero um emissions or at least had them and i just like the word offset um, but had them kind of parked so that we weren't, I guess we were just balanced, balanced the event off in a in a humble way. And rather, you know, be somewhere remote where we're in nature, in the world of what we're doing. And Costa Rica and Nicaragua, you know, there's large um, I guess trafficking routes there. So the humanitarian issues are are ripe, as well as the biodiversity and the conservation ecosystem. So we wanted a more immersive experience, but also a way that we could share the voices of those doing really cool things, but not speak about the why and the what, because we all really kind of understand that at a gist, but rather how. How are some of the leaders within YPO driving these businesses as a force for good actually doing what they're doing and how do we learn from them? How do we connect with them? And how do we have a way to better understand what I can do as an individual, what I can do with my family and what I can do in my business to start making the change that is needed. So it was really, you know, we had incredible resources, all YPO members, by YPO, for YPO and YNG. And that included the likes of yourself, Stephen, and some other incredible individuals on the Impact Network Council that we were very humbled to have participate and share your experiences, as well as like Peter Sockroff and Julie Hill and all the other wonderful members that were able to participate in that session. So it was a yeah, it was a beautiful first event in person, and we've got the next one in Rwanda in 2024, the beginning of. So lots of excitement on my home continent, to be honest. <laughs> so, you know, thank you for that uh, description and of your, you know, your history, your narrative from being very young to where you are today in the company that you have Bowtree, which really fits the theme of the Global Impact Summit as well, right? Yeah, and, and what you're trying to do. So uh, are there any sort of recommendations you want to give the audience? And that's my last question. So the one recommendation is that in this world of impact in this world of conservation social development humanitarian there's a big change that's needed and that change is that we need less of the people already in that system doing what they're doing and we need more people 
who are seeking meaning and purpose in their current careers to leave their roles, well, not leave their roles, but think about you know, other opportunities to join these organizations because they need a new way of thinking. Because the old school dinosaur legacy mo modes of working needs to be disrupted and we need every single individual on the planet to start exploring all these incredible solutions and companies because there's a lot of them. And if you're not in the world of knowing about them, they exist. And if you look, you'll find them, whether it's energy, biodiversity, water, human um, development, they exist and they need all the assistance that's that's there. And so the last thing is, is a book that I'd like to recommend. And I don't know if I should put the link, but the book is done by this gentle, two gentlemen, Ian McCullum and Ian Michler, two conservationists. Um, they are been in the world of, of conservation for the last 50 years, and it's called Living in Two Worlds. And they've embarked on this incredible journey from Namibia through Botswana, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, South Africa, and they walk in the footsteps of giants, meaning elephants. And it's just remarkable the lessons that they uncover and I guess how we can as individuals transform our own worlds or ways of thinking. So just don't be scared to change one's perspective and you know, also just know that our hearts can lead us to our dreams, our minds can lead us to our goals and when we entertain those, we find purpose. And so to loop back in terms of how do we seek fulfillment in the work that we do, just find what you love and then the rest will hopefully follow. Yeah, those are uh, quite poetic, <laughs> what you just uh, said. <laughs> I, I love that intertwining between the mind and the heart, and that leads to purpose. I thought that was, uh, that's quite elegant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it just sometimes comes out randomly. <laughs> Well, Dimitri, uh, thank you for sharing so much uh, with my audience and you're doing such wonderful work and you're continuing to have impact uh, across the world. And thank you for your just uh, amazing contributions. Thank you too, Stephen. And thank you also for the, the points and where I can explore to connect with other incredible humans. But just thank you for your leadership and inspiration that you provide to me and I'm sure your community around the world. So been a real honor thank you for your time as well thank you for listening to the brand called you videocast and podcast a platform that brings you knowledge experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals you can also follow us on youtube Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.